0: Hello Thank you and for listening to the, to the renovation renovation Church podcast. Oh, Good morning, everyone. That was a little bit better. Yeah, hey, I'm so glad y'all are here today. It's game day Sunday, so you can get a little more excited, excited today. My name is again, Kyle, and I'm one of the Bible pastors Bible Bible here. at Renovation, And I'm honored that you are here today worshiping with us and celebrating Jesus, our present savior. Hey, today, if you're here for the first time, we are in the middle of a series called Seven where we are looking at seven letters written by Jesus. Jesus to seven churches throughout the book of Revelation. And these seven letters were real letters written to real churches with with real pastors and real people and Jesus is writing to them and he's calling them out on a few things that he has seen in their church both good and also bad and what's amazing is these things that Jesus is talking about really apply to the church today I mean in general they describe the condition of a lot of churches now here in our century now today we're gonna be on letter four. And that's right in the middle. And in the old, uh, in the scriptures, uh, the placement of stuff was really important. And so the fact that this letter is coming right here in the center, it shows that this letter is like kind of a hinge. This is, this is one of the most important letters and it really can sum up all seven letters that he has been writing. So today we're going to be learning about the church in Thyatira or what's called the tolerant church. One thing our church is passionate about is evangelism. We are wildly passionate about going out into our world and our community and sharing our faith. And that's what we should be doing. We should be going out and telling people our stories about how God has has changed us and, and saved us and called us to live a different kind of life. But what happens sometimes Is we go out into the world and instead of making the world more like Jesus, the world makes us less like Jesus. We go out and we end up becoming like the people that that we're trying to reach. I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, back in 2005, I became a Christian. And uh, before I had accepted Christ, I, I really, I had lived a life where I was, I was partying a lot and I was doing a lot of things that I shouldn't do. And, and then when I became a Christian, I lost every single one of my friends. So they all just kind of abandoned me at that time. And I really didn't have anybody. But one of my best friends at the time, his name was Matt. And he's the guy that I spent all of my high school years with and we hung out and he was my best friend and we partied together and and so then when I got saved and everyone ditched me he came to me a couple of weeks later and he's like, "Hey, where have you been? Like what's what's going on with you? What's different?" And I said, "Well, I'm a Christian now and and my life's been changed and so all those things that I was doing, I'm not doing those things anymore because my life really at that moment had done a 180. And so I said, "That's just I'm not going to do those things." And he said, "Well, tell me a little bit about what you believe." And so I shared my faith with him. And I didn't know a lot of Bible verses. This was not like a polished presentation. The only thing I did was tell him my story that well, God convicted me, and 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 I asked for forgiveness, and I confessed my sins, and and he saved me. And, And he said, "Well, I want that too." And so I was able to lead my friend to the Lord. And then a couple weeks later, we were baptized. Same Sunday, I was baptized and then he got baptized. And it was really just an amazing story about what God had done through these, these two young, uh, young men who really were trying to live a different life. Well, later that day, on that Sunday, we got baptized. He said, hey, there's a party tonight. You want to go? And I said, well, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I, I'm not going out and doing those things. And he said, well, I'm gonna go. And I was like, I don't really think you should go there. And he's like, but don't people there need to hear about Jesus too? Like, what if we use that as an opportunity to tell them? And I said, well, I think you're in the wrong context. I think we should tell them, but I'm not sure that we should go there to tell them. And that was the last Sunday he was ever in church because he went and with his good intentions of sharing his story in the gospel, what happened was he didn't pull anyone up but instead they pulled him down. And so he walked away from his faith. Now, he would probably still tell you today that he's a Christian because he prayed a prayer, because he went under some water, and because he claims to believe what the Bible says. And yet what we know is that there's absolutely zero fruit in his life. And so he walked away because he compromised, because he tolerated more than he should have. And that's what was happening to the Christians of the church in Thyatira, is they had the right idea, They had the right motives of being really passionate about their community and in the people in their city, but instead of pulling them up, they got pulled down. And because of that, they're called the tolerant church. So today we're gonna be in Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. And this is gonna be the longest of the seven letters written to the churches, but it's also one of the toughest. And so if you want a good example of tough love, this letter's got it all for you. Jesus starts out by writing in verse 18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Now let's dig in and do a little bit of uh, historical background on Thyatira. This is one of the least known and the least important cities of any of them that we're gonna be talking about. Thyatira was not a capital city, it wasn't a port city, uh, but rather it was a pretty small city that was near a military outpost. Uh, but I think that's actually a good reminder for us that Jesus doesn't just care about big churches, he cares about small churches. It's a small city, so it would have been a small church And Jesus isn't just really focused on the churches that are 10,000, or 5,000, or 1,000, but he even cares about churches that are 100, or 50, or 15. He cares about his church in general now in this time uh the gospel was really going out churches were being planted the work was really fresh at this point so each city really probably had one church and so when jesus is writing to the church in thyatira he's literally writing to the church the one and only church and so that was just the way it was back then it, the idea of church shopping that didn't exist There was was one church, if you didn't like something about your church and you had a difference in style or preference or opinion, well, this was your church. You didn't leave over that. If there was conflict or a problem or something going on, you worked through it. Why? Because this was your church and you didn't leave your church. Like you were the church, you represented it. Now, Thyatira was more of a blue-collar community. They were, they were hardworking, they were full of tradesmen, and they dealt in wool, linen, bronze, and leather. And in this time, when you did that, you would have been part of a trade or a guild. And that was just a, a group of people, kind of like a, a, would be a union today. And each guild had a a God that they would worship to try to, to make them prosperous. And so the main God that most guilds would have worshiped was Apollo, who was Zeus's son. And because Apollo was Zeus's son, he was often called the son of God. So imagine if you were back in this time and you walked into Thyatira, and if you were to ask someone who is the Son of God, they would have told you Apollo is. Uh, Even on their coins, they had an inscription of Apollo, and under that was written the Son of God. And so when Jesus starts out this letter, he's being really clear to them, and he is saying, hey, this is coming from me, Jesus, who is the Son of God. More than any other letter that he writes, he's letting them know that don't let culture determine what you believe. Regardless of what people around you say, regardless of what you're exposed to, remember, I'm the one true son of God. Don't get that wrong. And then he goes on to affirm them as he does in each letter. And he writes in verse 19, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all of these things. Now, this was a good church. They were doing a lot of things right. Unlike the first church that we talked about in this series, Ephesus, they loved people, and they loved God, and they were doing the right things for the right reasons. They were going out, and they were serving their community, and and they were meeting needs, which are qualities that every church should have. But then Jesus goes even further and he says, and I can see your constant improvement. In other words, from when they had began to where they were now, they'd gotten better. Like if they were praying at the beginning, he's like, you've improved. Like you're praying more now than you have ever. You were passionate about worship before. You're even more passionate now. They had programs, they were doing things, they were meeting needs, they were doing all these different things. They were getting better as a church. Now today, these are what we would call our signs of a healthy, vibrant church, right? If, if a church is growing, surely that has to mean that a church is healthy, right? That's not necessarily the case. See, you've all probably heard the saying that healthy things grow, but it's also true that weeds grow, poisonous plants grow, thorns grow, And that's the case that Jesus is really making with this, that he's, even if it's with a church, just because a church is growing numerically does not mean it's healthy spiritually. We've gotta be really careful because despite some of those outward signs of health, Jesus sees through all of that. And he says, but I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. He's essentially saying that you've done a lot of the right things that you should be doing, but instead of impacting the people around you, the people around you have impacted you. Instead of helping them up, they've been dragging you down. And you've become like the people that you've been trying to reach. And this is what happens when the church and when Christians begin to tolerate sin. Now in this passage, Jesus mentions the name Jezebel. He says, you've tolerated that Jezebel of a woman. Now her name, the woman in this church, her name probably was not Jezebel, um, but Jezebel is a reference to Queen Jezebel, who we read about in the Old Testament. In fact, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this amazing story of Elijah as he goes to battle against the prophets of Baal. And in that time, the, the king was King Ahab, but his wife, was Queen Jezebel. And she was the one that was really running the show. Jezebel hated God, hated the prophets. She was personified evil. And so Jesus, as he's writing, he's saying, this is the kind of woman that you've got in your midst. Like, this is the kind of woman that is impacting not just the people in your community, but also was impacting the people that's in your church And he's saying, you've allowed her to be among you. And the problem was the church, they weren't standing up to her. They weren't speaking the truth. They weren't standing against her. They weren't on guard. They just kind of tolerated her. And I think the same thing is happening in a lot of churches today, where a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, we just kind of tolerate sin. We don't really talk about it. We're not really on guard against it. We're not really aware of it. We just... We just don't think it's that big of a deal and we tolerate it. And yet this story, this letter is a really good reminder that God does not tolerate sin, any sin. Whether you think it's a big one or a small one, God is holy and because he's a holy God, he cannot tolerate sin And you might think, well, yeah, I've got a little bit of sin in my life. It's not that big of a deal. God's not looking down on you and thinking, yeah, you're right. You're actually doing pretty good. Don't worry about those. You're not breaking one of the Big Ten. You're doing all right. That's not the approach that God ever has. Now, this is hard to understand. Because today, we live in a culture that glorifies tolerance. In fact, intolerance is not tolerable. And and you have to agree with everyone. That's what the world preaches, right? You gotta agree with me no matter what you believe. So we as Christians, we face this battle of being in the world where everyone is supposed to be tolerant, but then we worship a God who is not tolerant of sin. And that can be really hard to navigate. How do we be in the world and not of it? Understand this, there's a big difference between accepting someone and agreeing with someone. This is really where it begins. As you're trying to figure out, how do I be in the world and not of it? You can accept someone without agreeing with them. See, as a church, we will always have our doors open to accept anyone and everyone. No matter what. You don't have to have your life figured out to come here. You don't even have to have figured out what you believe about God to come here. Our doors are open to you regardless of who you are or, or what you believe or where you stand. But that doesn't mean that we have to agree with every lifestyle of every person who walks in here. Because regardless of what culture says, we can love someone while also disagreeing with someone as well. We don't have to look any further than Jesus because this exactly is saying is this is the model that he set. Just because Jesus accepted everyone did not mean that he agreed with everyone. You see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus was spending time not with the people that you might think, Because you and I, we tend to, if we call ourselves a Christian, we might really try to avoid a lot of people who are sinners. And yet Jesus spent most of his time seeking them out. He spent his time healing them and talking with them, spending time with them, investing in them. He really spent his time there, but he did not always agree with them. In John chapter 8, there's a story where the religious people dragged this woman out in front of Jesus. She was caught in the act of adultery. And they said, all right, the law of Moses says that she should be stoned and killed because of her sin. What do you say? And Jesus, he says, well, okay, that's true. The law of Moses does say that. So whichever of you are without sin, here's the stones. You pick up the first one and go. And then, of course, what happened was they one by one went away because they even could realize that they weren't perfect. And so then Jesus stands up and it's him and the woman. And he says, where have your accusers gone? And she says, well, they've all left. And then Jesus comes back in John chapter eight, verse 11. And he says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. In this darkest moment, of this woman's life, in her most shameful time, Jesus showed her love and he showed her grace and he showed her mercy. Now listen, he accepted her as she was, but he never agreed with what she did. That's why he concluded and he said, you need to leave your life of sin. You need to stop doing what you're doing. And what's true for her is true for us. It's true for you. That in the darkest, most shameful, messiest part of your life, Jesus still loves you. He wants to forgive you, but he loves you enough to not leave you where you are. This is so key. He loves you. He will forgive you. But he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He's offering you a better way. You now that might mean that you have to walk away from some things in your life. That might even mean that you need to walk away from some people in your life. Because sometimes it's not just things, but it's people that will lead us into sin. So there are some things and some people you need to walk away from for this time in your life in order to leave your life of sin to follow him. But this is really what love is. Jesus loved her and he showed her grace, but he also showed her truth. In John chapter one, when Jesus came, John says that he came full of grace and full of truth. So often what happens is our pendulum swings one of two ways. We're either all the way towards grace or we're all the way towards truth. Uh, so all the way towards grace would be like, well, I'm, I'm going to go to that person and I'm going to tell them the truth. And I don't care if they like it or not. I'm a bold person. I speak the truth. And it's, it may be true that you're telling them the truth, but it also may be true that you're a jerk, right? So you're like, oh, man, I'm all truth and I'm, I'm going to just throw it down. But then on the other end of the pendulum is someone who is all grace. And they're so full of grace and they're so kind and they're so compassionate that they never get around to telling anyone the truth about what they're doing that's harmful. So we need to find a way to bring that pendulum to the middle, to where we are full of grace, but we're also full of truth. To where, like Jesus, we would go out and we would show people grace and mercy and compassion but where we are to also be able to tell people that we love, now go and leave your life of sin because this is harmful to you and it's not making you more like Jesus. We've got to be like him because this is what real love looks like. The church of Thyatira was guilty of showing grace but neglecting to give truth. They were guilty of tolerating sin. Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, I gave her time to repent but she does not want to, to turn away from her immorality. Maybe this is a warning for some of us today. Because maybe right now God is giving you a chance, an opportunity to turn away from some kind of sin, some kind of addiction, some kind of false belief. He goes on to say in verse 22, "'Therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds.'" I will strike her dead, and then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you what you deserve. This is the part of Jesus that most Christians like to pretend does not exist. Because these are some really tough words. This is the part of Jesus, though, that we tend to ignore because we like the Jesus who lavishes grace upon grace. We like the Jesus who offers forgiveness anytime, any place, about anything. We, we like the Jesus that is quick to show us mercy. We like the Jesus who shows us love unconditionally. We like the Jesus who sets us free. And all of those things are true. But we don't really like the Jesus who takes sin seriously. We don't really like the Jesus who doesn't tolerate or affirm the lifestyle that we wanna be able to live. We don't really like the Jesus who calls us to deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily and follow him. Now, we might like that verse enough to highlight it in our Bible or share it on social media, but when it comes time to actually doing it, denying myself, killing myself, taking up my cross and saying, today I'm living for you and you alone, we actually really don't like the concept of doing that because that involves sacrifice. That involves a level of surrender, See, here's the thing about sin. Sin is a double-edged sword. It can cut you in one of two ways. Doing what God said not to do is a sin. We all know that, right? If God said to do something and we decide to do it anyway, that's what we would call a sin. But it's equally as much of a sin to not do what God said to do. We don't always think about that. It's a sin to do what God said not to do, but it's also a sin to not do what God said to do. James said it like this in James 4:17. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it anyway. So for some of you in here today, you feel like you're actually doing pretty good. You're going to church. You're pretty serious about your faith. You're not battling any major kind of addiction in your life. Your marriage is going really well. Your relationship with your kids, is, it's good. And you would say, overall, I'm, I'm not the best Christian, but I'm also not the worst. I'm, I'm doing all right. But when it comes to doing some things that God said to do, you're not sure that you're all into that. For example, when it comes to tithing, you've just already decided now's not the right time. I've got some Christmas presents to save up for. I've got some debt to pay off. I know I'm supposed to tithe, And sometimes when we get to the end of the service, I feel a little bit guilty about not doing that. But like the turkey at Thanksgiving, I'm pretty good at stuffing it all down. And so I know I should tithe. I've just made the decision, I'm not going to right now. Or for some of you, you've decided, you know, I know I should read my Bible regularly, but right now, I don't have a lot of time to do that. I don't even have a lot of time for me. And so I'll listen to the sermon and on my way home from work, I'll listen to a podcast or two and I'll get my Jesus in there. Um, I'm just, I don't have time to actually open up a Bible and read it for myself or with small group. I mean, life is busy. We all know life's busy, okay? Your life is not any busier than anyone else's. And so you're like, well, I should go to a small group. I, I know I need to have people in my corner and, and, and friends who are gonna sharpen me. But the thought of going to a small group, like I already have like two nights a week open because of sports and school activities and all these things. And so when I retire someday, then I'll go to small group because then I'll have all kinds of time. So you always find these reasons why you can't do these things. But all of these things are things that God told us to do. The, the tithing. He's called us to be faithful in our tithe. That wasn't just in the Old Testament. That's in the New Testament as well. Or, or he told us to be study, to study his word and be ready to defend our faith. And we can't defend our faith if we don't know the word. He's called us to be in community with one another. All these things are not just suggestions from God. God's not saying, hey, tithe when you've got some extra. Hey, read your Bible when you've got time. Hey, go to a small group if you're not too busy. No, these things are what he's telling us to do. They're not suggestions, they're commands. And if we don't do the things that God has commanded us to do, it's sin, Now, I'm not telling you these things to be like, oh man, our tithing is down. Boy, we better just pump that up. I'm not saying this because it's good for us. I'm saying it's because it's good for you. God called us to give to put him first in every area of our life. Tithing is for your benefit, not the church's. The concept of reading the Holy Word of God, we're not just telling you to do that so we can say, great, look how many people in our church read the Bible No, we're wanting you to open up your word because sometime at work or at school, you will be challenged in your faith and you have to know why you believe what you believe because I will not always be there to answer the hard questions for you. We're calling you to be in community with one another, not so that we can say, great, we're up to 60% of our church in small groups, that looks really good. No, we're saying that because it's good for you. It's good to be in community and in relationship with other people. It's good, that's why God told us to do it. So don't just tolerate sin. Doing what God said not to do, or not doing what God said to do. Attack it, go all in with God. Stay away from what is wrong and pursue what is right. Because sin is serious and it's got serious consequences. And just because you may not have faced them yet, doesn't mean that you're not gonna face it. Give it time. You may think that tolerating a little sexual immorality isn't really that bad and isn't really hurting anyone. You may even justify it by saying, it's just a movie. It's just a show. Literally, everyone I know is watching it. It's not that big of a deal. You might say when it comes down to it, okay, yeah, it's got some language. It's got some nudity. Not that big of a deal. Men, you might even try to tell your wives, when I see that on the screen, that doesn't bother me. My eyes are for you and you alone, which is just a load of, you know what? It's not true. That's because that's sin. It's sin. And you may think, well, this isn't hurting anyone else. Give it time. You may think that texting someone at work isn't harmful. Maybe it's not. You may be texting someone of the opposite sex that is not your husband or wife and think it's not a big deal. We're just talking about work. Then all of a sudden that talk about work goes to talking about family and then talking about life. And then all of a sudden it transforms into something that it shouldn't be. You feel like it's just a connection? Well, give it time. Because sin starts out small, so small, that you may not even be able to identify it as a sin. And maybe it isn't. But that's the way Satan designs it. He designs it so that it entangles you. Because if it was one of the big ones, he knows that you'd see that coming, that you'd be on your guard. But very rarely are we on guard about what's on our TV screen or what's on our cell phones or on what someone says to us. Going back to James chapter one, verse 14, he says it like this. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And then when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That's what happened to the Christians of the Church of Thyatira. And that's what can and will happen to Christians of the Church today if we're not careful. If we continue tolerating more than we should and justifying it by saying, spiritually, I'm still doing okay. I'm doing better than most. Besides, Maybe you would even say about your sin, well, no one even knows about it. It's, it's not hurting anyone else. So why do you care so much? Well, let's go back to verse 23 in Revelation 2. Jesus says, "Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and the intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever it is that you deserve." It's almost like a bone-chilling kind of statement. I will give to each of you what you deserve. What that means is that even though no one else in your life may know the secret sin that you've got going on, Jesus knows. Even though your husband or your wife, the person right next to you has no idea, your parents have no idea, your colleagues at work have no idea, your classmates don't know, and Jesus says, I'm the one who searches out the heart. I'm the one who searches the thoughts. He can see through it all. God doesn't want you to stay away from sin because he wants to keep you from having fun. He wants to keep you from sin to keep you safe. But let me also use this past verse to encourage you. Some of you have people in your life who have wronged you, hurt you, sinned against you. Well, God knows their actions and God knows their heart and God will deal with them. And you may feel like, well, they've gotten away with something, they did something wrong. Like they hurt me in a deep way. How can I just move on? How can I just forgive them? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. But God says, I'll give them what they deserve. I'll search their thoughts. I'll search their heart. You let me take care of that. But you move on and you continue the work. Let's finish this letter up in verse 24. He says, but I have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira, who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths, as they call them. Depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you, except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, I will give them authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod, and they will smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority that I received from my Father, and I will also give to them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches." See, this letter to Thyatira, this is his wake-up call to the church. Both the church then and the church today. Wake up! Don't be deceived by Jezebels today, because there are still Jezebels today. Like, you think that false prophets and false teachers were just something of the Bible? You're wrong. They're still here today. See, unlike the church of Thyatira, where each city had one church, today, St. Joe has probably over a hundred churches. But beyond that, there are thousands of preachers At thousands of churches and pretty much all of them are streaming online and you can get their podcasts. Let me tell you, you can find a pastor in a church that will tell you whatever it is you want to believe. But just because someone stands up here and tells you something does not mean that it's true. That's why I always tell you like, check me on this. If you hear me preach a sermon, don't just say, well that's got to be true. I'm prone to mistakes as well. You've gotta know the word for yourself. Because if you don't know the word, if you don't know the truth, then you won't know what's false either. See, this is what false teachers do. What they do is they'll, they'll take 80% of what they say is truth, but then they'll sprinkle in a little bit of false gospel. And it's hard to tell what's right and what's wrong. Their doctrine may seem attractive, their sermons may be exciting, What they have to say might seem insightful and deep, but that does not mean that it's good. I came across um, a quote from someone about a month ago, and they said something that really just impacted me. He said, talented people can build a crowd, but only the Holy Spirit can build a church. I like that because it's true. We, We could have the most talented musicians in the world up here that would not make it worship we could have the most charismatic speaker who is motivational and inspirational but that does not mean that your life is going to be changed we could have the greatest facility the greatest parking lot the greatest property the best programs but does not mean that anything is going to change it's because none of these things are what builds a church what builds a church is the Holy Spirit of God. What builds the church is God himself. So we have to be very careful about where our influence comes from. There's a lot of churches today who have allowed the world to change who they are, to not tolerate sin. That's not really what love is. Loving you doesn't mean agreeing with you. Loving you means I'm willing to tell you the truth, regardless of the consequences. So what I can tell you and and promise you is that at this church, we will always do our absolute best to tell you the truth of the word of God. Whether that offends you or affirms you, encourages you, breaks your heart, we're just gonna tell you about who God is and what God said. So my question for you as we wrap up today is what are you tolerating in your life? Going back to those two things that sin are, sin is is doing what God said not to do. Are there some things in your life that God has told you not to do that, if you can be honest, you would say, there's a lot of those things in my life. I'm battling addiction to some substance. I've got a problem with my money, whatever it would be, or is there on the opposite end something that God said to do that you're just not willing to do? Is there someone that you need to forgive that you're like, "Mm mm-mm, I'm holding on to it? Is it a matter of your money and in a few minutes when Chelsea makes a compelling case for you to give, you're just gonna say, "Mm mm-mm, not gonna do it? Is there anything in your life that you're not doing that God said to do? I want you to consider that as we go to the Lord with a time of invitation and prayer. Now these two things, let's be honest. If you don't change anything, I'm probably not gonna know because you don't have to confess your sins to me. We do have to confess our sins to God. So, right now, I want to give you an opportunity. Is there something in your life that you know is not of God? Maybe it's your anger, your hatred, your bitterness. Maybe it is a show, maybe it is something that you drink there's something in your life that you really know if Jesus was by my side you probably wouldn't be okay with this that's a good rule of thumb if I were to sit there and watch this on my TV would I be willing to sit there with Jesus if I were to say something about someone would I be okay saying that with Jesus by my side And Father, today, your word cuts straight through to the heart. No fluff, just right to the root of the message. And today you've told us to not be a people that tolerate sin because you don't tolerate sin. And God, you, you know we're never going to be perfect, but that's why you sent Jesus to be perfect for us, to live a life that we were not capable of living, to die a death that we should have died to step in our place so that we could have eternal life. God's, thank you for the incredible gift of salvation. Thank you for loving us enough to send him for us. Send Jesus then we pray. And all God's people said,